Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of This Moment, the transatlantic bridge that connects Stockholm, Sweden to Harlem, NYC, and all BIPOC communities across the globe. I'm Chef Marcus Samuelson. Jason is out this week, but for Black History Month, I want to give you guys a peek into Harlem the small village that generates some of the most influential music, people, food, style in the world. Harlem culture is strong and undenying. Today, we're going to speak to no other than Harlem's own Queen Bevy Smith. Bevy is incredible. Her story is absolutely amazing. Out of Harlem, you know, 138th Street, and, you know, to the world, really. Today, she's hosting TV shows. She's hosting a talk show. Uh, on Sirius, and she's just an incredible drive and force of nature. One of the coolest things for Bevy is that she brings her Harlem style, her Harlem energy, wherever she goes. And so I took my culture with me to Milan and Paris. I used to go to the Schomburg and buy postcards of the Jacob Lawrences and Langston Hughes things because I wanted people to understand you're not just talking about it right now. You're talking about legacy. The original fly girl, Miss Bevy Smith. This moment. This moment. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. The original fly girl of Harlem, Miss Bevy Smith. Welcome to this moment, baby. I'm so happy to be in this moment with you, my dear friend, my brother, my love, and the new daddy, Mr. Marcus Samuelson, yes. two-time daddy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, you, now, as my daddy used to say, you in the weeds now, baby. I, we, we are, definitely. But I have a Queen Maya that has been the rock. Because not only was she eight and a half months nine months pregnant eventually grace ethiopia came we were going through two renovation one in the house at sag harbor and one in harlem so Maya's on the phone as a general contractor basically all the way into going to the hospital so like what women can do is yeah. like as a man you just stand next to like you know what let me just let me just be grateful you know yeah. yes exactly exactly but give my my love and i sent grace a little gift so hopefully Thank she you. gets it soon. Thank you. So, Bevy, I want to walk back, and this is a celebration of Black History Month, but it's also a celebration of, you know, I want people to be inspired that um, this goes all over the world. So some people, you know, a lot of countries in the world, we don't have Black History Month, actually. America is probably the only one. Maybe in the UK, I could be wrong also. But what did, what did Black History Month mean in the Smith household? How was it acknowledged? How was it coming up? Yeah. Well, you know, Marcus um, grew up in Harlem in the 1970s, mm -hmm. which was a really interesting time in Harlem, uh, Marcus, because um, it was the scourge of the heroin 
um, addiction, you know, that crisis, the heroin crisis. So that was all over Harlem, right? And um, as a matter of fact, where Streetbird used to be on 116th mm-hmm. Street and Frederick Douglass Boulevard, that corridor was so crazy. They used to call it Junkie's Paradise. Wow. Because it was like Night of the Living Dead, just like people just like running, like, you know, kind of like stumbling through the streets, much like we're seeing now mm-hmm. with the opioid crisis that's happening yep. in Harlem because they have they put so many rehabilitation centers or, 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 you know, in our community mm-hmm. that people that are not even of our community are coming in and flooding mm-hmm. our community with like, it's the scourge of drugs. So when I see it today, I'm reminded of when I was a kid where we wow. literally were not allowed to go to 116th street by ourselves because wow. it was so scary. Right. And you've seen three of these, you've seen the heroin pandemic, yes. the crack, right. and now opioid. How yes. are the similar? Which one is worse? Talk to me about them because they're very different eras. Yes. But there have some similarities, right? Yeah, they have a lot of similarities, right? I think the biggest similarity is that, again, no one is really addressing the root cause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why, why are people... Um, addicted in such massive numbers? Why are the drugs being um, flooded into our mm-hmm. communities? And why do young people whose families will ultimately be affected by them selling drugs, why are they selling the drugs, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know if you saw this, and then we might be getting too deep. I'll, I'll come back to Black mm-hmm. history, but really quick, I don't know if you saw this, but um, the great actor Michael K. Sure. Williams, who died of a heroin overdose, the people that um, sold him the drugs have now been arrested, four people. My thing is this, Michael was um, someone who was really very, very vocal about criminal justice reform and prison reform. And I and I caution that as much as we want Michael back and as much as we would like to feel like there's some kind of um, some kind of justice happening in regards to his passing, um, you know, I don't know that the people that sell drugs need to be put under the jail. Mm. We have, you know, I think, yes, of course, you're a drug dealer. You should do some time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we have to look at the root cause. And when we look at the root cause of heroin, um, um, you know, that was during the 1960s. And and they were, of course, flooding the heroin into our communities. Crack, now it's really come out that was being flooded into our communities. Like, literally... Mm-hmm. You know, the CIA was giving all the black communities across the country the drugs mm-hmm. for cheap. Mm-hmm. And now we have this uh, opioid addiction that really started out in more rural white communities. Yeah. And now it's made its way back to sure. Pennsylvania, Europe. upstate. Yeah. So yeah. On, yeah West you know, Virginia, the, yeah. Opi- the opioid trail, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but so it's very, very disconcerting. Um, so but that was a part of growing up in the 1970s in Harlem. But now here's the flip side of that. It was also black power. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm Mm. proud. So now you have every single day that you're on the streets of Harlem, you're reminded of our legacy and our history. You know, as a child, I understood that Abyssinian church was Adam Clayton Powell Jr.'s church. I understood that the mosque on 116th and Malcolm X Boulevard, which at that point was Lennox, mm-hmm. was his mosque. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I understood that, you know, every week for a school trip, we would go to the Schomburg Library. Yeah. Toronto Schomburg. Oh, one really great factoid. Across the street from where I live, I grew up in a tenement, mm-hmm. but across the street oh. from where I live was the Dunbar apartments, yeah. which were apartments for strivers. Like, so basically it was like more like people that were like teachers and and accountants, more, sure. more like, because my parents, my daddy worked in the steel mill, I mean, the copper refinery plant, and my mother was a domestic. But right across the street was like more people that were like more upwardly mobile. Sure. And guess who lived over there? Who lived over there? Matthew Henson, yep. the man who was the first black man to get to the North Pole. Wow. Wow. So wow. history, black history for yep. me mm-hmm. was all over the place. Also in our schools, Marcus, we were taught in grade school Swahili. Yeah. So three years ago, I go to Tanzania and they speak Swahili and I'm like, yeah. Jumbo, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it was so surreal. But so that's what black history has always meant to me. But Harlem is black history. And you you are. Because Bevy, like one of the things that we love, there's so many things that we can draw from you and be inspired by. But I know you grew up around that time. But you also celebrate all of it, right? Like Harlem is really like you look at, if you see Harlem, you see America. There's the beauty. There is the really, really cracking, difficult, dangerous. There is the uneven. There is the beautiful brownstones. There is the churches. There is everything. When you see Harlem, you see America and you navigate it. And you don't you don't walk. Bevy don't walk down on, on Lennox. <laughs> she strolls and glides, right? So There is always this incredible level of joy when people see you that you give off. But there's also flipping that to incredible amount of depth and just know-how, right? So you decide to be positive out there to the world. You could have decided to go in the other direction. So did you get that level of confidence and spirit from your parents? Did you get that from a teacher? Mm -hmm. Who was there for you to kind of like, I'm going to be a powerhouse and positive Bevy Smith? Because, like, those are the kind of heroes that we need to hear from, for me. Thank you, baby. Well, you know, you knew yes. my daddy. He was so proud of you. My beloved Smitty, whose birthday is February 8th. Um, he would have been um, 97 wow, this beautiful. year. He, of course, perished in um, one of the early days of COVID. Um, and, of course, my mom is still here, 94 years old. And yes. kicking. She can't wait to come back to the Red Rooster. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was really my parents mm-hmm. because, you know, um, Marcus, they came up in, from Jim Crow South. Yeah. So when you're looking at Jacob Lawrence's the great migration, you're seeing my parents. Mm-hmm. My mom came up to New York in 1955 with her newborn son. My father came to New York right after World War II. So 1945. From um, where, where, what places did they come from? My daddy was from South Carolina. Yes, of great course. Food. That's why I yeah. knew I knew the mention to you because yeah. you know that's some of the best yes, cuisine absolutely. by the way. Low country is um, unbelievable. Not yeah, the same no, as soul food. Not, not the same. This is low country is very different. Yes, and you know we gonna eat rice breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh my! God. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and my mom is from North Carolina. Okay. And yes. um, you know, um, just they they were in Jim Crow. What's mm-hmm. interesting is that my parents did not allow Jim Crow South. They did not allow the disparities between uh you know uh you know income 
um, inequality and, and racial inequality to affect their spirits. Wow. Um, I was raised in a very positive and loving environment. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I remember um, maybe when I was young, you know, like you're young and you, then all of a sudden you start wanting to question your parents about why did you do X, Y, yeah, and Z. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll never forget, my sister actually asked my dad, why didn't they march in the 1960s? Mm-hmm. And my father answered, because we were trying to provide for you children. Yeah. And we were trying to make it. And that was, you know, a very real thing. You know, I think when we look at civil rights and the movement, um, just the same way when 20 years from now, people will look back at this time, right? Yes. They will look back at this time and, and maybe children will ask, why weren't you there? Mm-hmm. You know what? Because they were doing it in another way. Yeah, no, showing of, up, providing. Yes, showing up know? and providing. Yeah. And um, and that's who my parents were. And that's the reason why I am the way I am. That's the reason mm-hmm. why I'm very optimistic. Yeah. Um, that's the reason why I came into um, the, a very white space of luxury fashion and knew that I could make it um, because my parents really did instill such confidence in me. Yeah. And um, there was never any limits on what we could do. Well, I want to talk. I want to talk about that, right? Because you've been in the intersection, and you know so many people that we admire to the world. But when I know when they see you, they always admire you. So, for example, you were that right there at an iconic early days of Vibe, Mag- Vibe magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And I know as a black Swede, when you can get your hands on a Vibe. I kept it for you. It was like, <laughs> you know, my, my mom was more like Essence or Ebony, right? Because yeah. it was great. She learned about hairstyle and stuff like right. that for, for my sisters. But when I could get a Vibe, oh, my <laughs> God. So how was it to work in the early days of Vibe with Emil and the team? Just just give me some highlights. Oh, my God. So many highlights. You know, my gig was fashion. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I and, and shout out to the late, great Andre Leon Talley, who is the reason why... Any of us in fashion who are black are able to do the work that we've done and that we do um, because he was the pioneer and um, he stood in the gap and he took all the blows and all the derision and um, he, he, he stood strong and he kept his faith. Can I just uh, tell you with Andre, because I, that was my, that was a separate question from you because I want to get okay. there, but I'm going to. You know, the way we thought about Rooster, right? Like you were there in the beginning. But I had to ask, you just to sort of get my mind right. I had Andre in early and I had um, Andre Harrell in early, right? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. that neither one of them were foodies, but they knew about style and iconic and taste, mm-hmm. right? Yes. yes. So for me, it's like, okay. You know, and I remember when our friend Tracy brought in Andre Arell, and it's like, Tracy's like, Andre doesn't even eat, like, he doesn't really care about food. It's like, it doesn't matter. He knows pop culture, and yes. Andre knows fashion. So for me, having these two icons just seeing to Rooster and, like, picking up, and um, um, Andre Talley had his booth that was his booth that you know i was always like no one else has been sitting there <laughs> you know what i mean that was his thing uh but you know for me it was always searching for these incredible uh people and icons and it's it's amazing that you say that tell me about how was under to work with i'm sure he was demanding i'm sure he was challenging you but like opening up a space for you in fashion that wouldn't have been there 
What do you mean when you say that? Because it's it's such an important part for people to know how iconic and important he was. Definitely. You know, I never had the pleasure of working with him, but the first time I ever met Andre, you'll like this story because it's an international story. The first time I ever met Andre was in Paris and I was at the Hotel Crillon and it was my first trip to Paris and I've been sent there on business to pitch the Kenzo yep, account. Sure, Kenzo, Japanese Kenzo, of course. Japanese Kenzo. And while I was there, now mind you now, I had never been abroad. And maybe I had been to Mexico, but you know what I mean? And I'm like in my twenties. And as you say, I'm the original fly girl. So I'm like hip hop, you know, through and through, but I'm also, so I'm hip hop at night in the day. I'm like a young corporate executive climbing the ranks. And so I get to Paris and of course, you know, you get to Paris, baby, your first time. And you're just like, ah, you know, I, I, mean? know I know, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Like I think everyone, when as soon as they are driving from Charles de Gaulle, someone should be videotaping the, the eyes that open so wide. I think it happens to everyone. So there I am. I'm at the Hotel Crillon, and I think it's a Vivian Westwood show. And um, I'm there, and I'm in the back, and Andre sees me come in. And of course, I know who Andre Leon Talley is. But emotions for me, I go up and he's like, who are you? And I say, I'm Beverly Smith, because I wasn't Bevy at that point. I'm Beverly Smith. What are you doing here? I say, I'm, oh, I'm here in Paris because I'm going to be pitching Kinzo for business. And it's like, where are you sitting? Um, where are you sitting? I said, I'm sitting back there. He said, you come up here, you sit right behind me. And that my first fashion show in Paris I get to see, sit second row, which I know, guys, you may not understand what a big deal it is, but please believe it's a big deal. People take at least 10 years to get to the second row. Forget about first row. Takes a long time to get to the second row, much less the first row. So that was my first encounter with Andre Leon Talley. And then throughout the years, Andre would see me like I would always see him holding court at the Manola Blonic sample sales. Again, you guys cannot understand if you don't work in fashion, if you're not from New York, but these things were the hottest ticket to get in and they were virtually impossible. You had to be a super VIP to get into the Manola Blonde sample sale. And then once you got in there, Andre would be holding court in a chair in the middle of the sales floor and tell us, every lady who passed by, that shoe, yes, oh, that's abysmal. You must then drink it to get rid of it. <laughs> Amazing. And I then I would it. always see him at different shows in New York. Yes. Or and then, but when our relationship really turned is when I started doing fashion commentary on TV. Mm -hmm. And then Andre would reach out to me yes. and tell me how much he enjoyed it, how yes. proud he was of me. And he would give me notes. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And, beautiful. And that was so beautiful. Andre for me really represent when you talk about the only one in the room, he was the only one from the buying side, from the editorial side, from, you know, from so many different sides. He really represent for me door opener to so many different places. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So you were at Vibe in the okay. 90s. Where did, where did your passion, your drive take you after Vibe? Where did you go? Well, being, I, I, I want to touch on Vibe really quick. And I want to say that being at Vibe in the late 90s, early 2000s was like being in Wakanda. Right? <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. I entered Vibe after having worked in luxury fashion at an advertising agency where I was the only black person and working on accounts where I was the only black person. Like we, we had accounts like Vanity Fair magazine, Shiseido Cosmetics, Black Glam, I mean, Bill Blast. Like, so I wasn't going to see myself in these spaces. So imagine coming somewhere where not only do you see yourself but you see your culture reflected back to you at every single turn and everyone from like the president on down to the receptionist is your kin is your is your family it's it was the most surreal thing and i honestly marcus when i went to vibe i went to vibe knowing i could do the job but i went in not expecting to be able to do the job of my whole heart and soul and spirit and one of one of my things that I did was I, I realized I was a cultural conduit. And so I took my culture with me to Milan and Paris to all those big fashion advertising brands, advertising vibe. I took my culture with me. I used to go to the Schomburg and buy postcards of all the great, um, you know, the Jacob Lawrence's and 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 Langston Hughes things and and just like you know, yeah, Romeo Bearden. 
Um, and, and I gave out so many James Van Der Zee books. I wish I still had them, um, you know, and because I wanted people to understand that when you're talking about talking to the audience of Vibe, you're not just talking about it right now. It's not just an immediate thing. You're talking about legacy and that being well-dressed and being fly is a part of our cultural DNA. And oftentimes it was the only thing that we could leave behind. And it's also, I mean, you're still that bridge. You're still the downtown or you're still that bridge connecting Harlem to the world. And I want to, I want to ask a couple of things. Um, we know kind of the, the drug side, the bad side, but tell me about the club scene in Harlem. You coming up? Give me some of those candy, like yeah. Harlem World down on one one sixteen. One on one sixteen. Tell me the after well, hours. Yes. Tell me the fun there stuff. There's actually going to be a documentary being made. You know, Pop. He's on the rooftop doc- yeah, documentary, course. and that's going to be very exciting yeah. because that was a place where you know so many iconic people got their starts from Teddy Riley, Keith Sweat. You know, um, and it was really a skating rink, but it was the most opulent skating rink, nine four, and, and not as as uh, in regards to the interior, but the people that showed up. You know, it was nothing for me to show up at the ro- at the roller skating rink in like white knee length fur um, boots with a white fur on and white and an all white outfit. You know what I mean? Just like, oh, who does that? You know what I mean? Amazing. Amazing. Um, you know, yeah. and it was nothing to see the guys with all their big, big, big trunk jewelry. That's what we used to call all the big gold jewelry. Trunk jewelry. And of course, with a Dapper Dan outfit on. You know what I mean? Um, and 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 those that was like so much fun. And then we would leave rooftop and we would go to like the after hour spot, like to SNS and everything like that. And and then of course, you know, the early days of hip hop, it was Harlem World. It was the um, it was the Rennie, which was a great ballroom, the Renaissance. Um, but it, it was in total disrepair in the 80s. And so then they started being able to rent it out for jams, for hip hop jams. And then we called it the Rennie. We didn't call it the Rennie. You know, we're gonna flip anything, Marcus. You know, we ain't gonna never let it be. Um, and so we would go to the Rennie. Um, there was also the Audubon Ballroom up in Washington Heights where Malcolm X was um, killed. But that became a hip-hop um, venue. Yeah, that was a hip-hop venue that. when I was growing up. Um, so so, so you you like uh, you talk about Schaumburg a lot, and obviously Schaumburg, there would not be Red Rooster without the Schaumburg, right? So that's where I went to study and all of these places. So Rooster on top has kind of a reflection of what you talked about at Vibe, right? Being the only one in a room in the food world, I felt, let's create a restaurant where we as people of color feel like we belong. The receptionist, the server, the cook, yes. it's for everybody, but yes. it's built yes. from us, right? And when you talk about Ginny's that came later on, that was all inspired by like a blend between Lennox Lounge, of course, legendary Lennox Lounge, but also places like you mm-hmm. said, Harlem World, and Rennie's and so on. And, you know, when you talk about that world, I'm like, why did Bevy even go downtown? Because you have a world yeah. here, right? And these are icons. You, you just mentioned Ted Riley. Well, at that point, Ted Riley produces the Dangerous yeah. album for Michael Jackson, right? Yeah, it's New Jack uh, He just did Bobby Brown. Yeah, he did, you know, Bobby Brown, yeah. Don't Be Cruel. And, and he also, My Prerogative is actually recorded right. in the project on 8th Avenue right. in Ted Riley's bathroom because yeah. he didn't have a studio. But, but, you know, so really massive multi-million sales and changing the culture. Those were your buddies that you were running with. Did you know that at that point, hanging out with Teddy, for example, 
you know, he was yeah. a megastar then and became, you know what I mean? And you, there you were, Bevy, knowing all these guys. How, how you was know what's that? so interesting is that, you know, um, we were, okay, Marcus, you know this because you've been in Harlem long enough, baby. You know everybody's a star in Harlem. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's star, a very star. good point. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice for you. But I'm about to talk at the rooftop. I'm about to shut it down. You know what I mean? I'm going to come through. I'm going to do a dance. I'm going to do a split and it's going to be over. You know what I mean? So everybody is a star. You know, like the Sly and the Family Stone song. Everybody is a star. And that's how Harlem operates. And you know that, Marcus, because you know that how many people that, that and, and, and I just want to give you your props here. And I know this is not, I know you don't like this kind of thing, but I want to say to you, that the way you handled the opening of the Red Rooster and, and everything since then is a masterclass how you come into a community and you don't try to be better than the community. You meet the community where it is and then you say, and allow me to introduce you to X, Y, and Z. But what you got going on is, is awesome too. I'm not going to try and come in here and rearrange and remix and, and I'm certainly not going to try and shut it down. What I'm going to do is try and integrate in a proper way. But you've done, you, 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 you were so, and I tell people this all the time. It, it, it's beautiful what you've been able to create with the Red Roots and what you've been able to create with Harlem Eat Up. Beautiful. And you could have kept it all to yourself. You could have come, but baby, with your cachet, when you show up in Harlem, and the limousines start pulling up. You could have easily said it is not. You could have instituted dress codes, which a lot of down marketplaces have done. And your place got the nerve to be upscale. You've never instituted a uh, dress code. You've never had an aggressive, horrible door policy. You are now now everybody from the community may not be able to afford to come up and red rooster and sit down in the main dining room. But we always you you instituted. Something that, because you know, really, Marcus, you know, I'm a bar girl, which is why I love maybe my bar at Shoreditch at the, the river in London, because you made such a great bar scene that we actually have bar flies at Red Rooster. And for whoever doesn't know what a bar fly is, that just means people that sit up there regular and they might nurse one damn drink for hours on hours. But it's important when you have a community space. People shouldn't have to move along because they only ordered one drink and they're going to sit there for three hours. And you've done that. And I don't think there's any new restaurant at this point, Red Rooster ain't new. But, you know, I don't think there's any new places in Harlem that allow people to do that. And they have such an open door policy. Thank you, Bevin. I, I, I love you. You know that. I, I want to ask you about a couple of things because here is, I think you just nailed it. Like you just said it. Everybody's a star in Harlem. You said it's so simple, but it, it's really something special in there. Not growing up, because I studied a lot. Like, of course, one movie that really was inspiring to me was, you know, Paris is Burning. And wa watching these incredible, um, you know, not only the gowns, but the walks and all the back and forth. Were you able... Did you ever go to one of those balls? Were you there? How was it? If so, were you voguing? What talk to my me? Sister, what was going on? My sister was big into the ballroom scene. I was not as big into the ballroom scene. Because see, 
I was all about going and meeting men. So you could not meet a man, a straight man at the ballroom scene. So I was like, so my sister would be down there and she was the vulgar and she was all that. My sister was always left of center, which is so yeah, weird because beautiful. now my sister is like a homemaker and has her own small business, which you supported so many times. You know what I mean? But my sister, who's my big sister, which is why it's going to be amazing to, when you see Zion and Grace, because you're going to see the, the magic of that dynamic of the siblings. But I got so much from my sister and also from my big brother. My big brother gave me the love of music. My big brother was the one who used to take me downtown to the Roxy. Because when I was coming up, kids could go to clubs, which sounds crazy. But my brother would take me to the Roxy. I was like 13 years old. I recently <laughs> just interviewed John Rogers <laughs> and I was able to tell him about, you know, skating downtown at the Roxy. He's like, you used to go to the Roxy? That was our place. And I'm like, yeah, I used to go to the Roxy. I was a kid, but my big brother would take me. My sister would, you know, always be downtown at the Bulls and 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 be in the West Village and, you know, doing all that. So I so even if I wasn't doing it, it came back to me and I was able to absorb it. Yes. And it's interesting because you are always, I always feel like you're such an advocate and an oh, ally, yeah. right? So I thought. Because, maybe, and I would, but Marcus, let me just tell you why though. Because as you know, in, in Harlem, there's another thing that happens. We are a very welcoming community. And we require people to show up as they are. And we also require people to have a certain steeliness to themselves. So when I was a little kid, I had friends who were eight and nine years old who were gay. And my mother always had a coterie of gay men in her life. You know, from yes. just to hear Chester, to Mr. Yeah. James, who used to carry, who was a super masculine, had a clean, bald head, was always real stylish, carried a man bag, but he was gay. Oh, and then, of course, Gene Anthony Ray, who starred in Fame, who is a Harlem icon. And one day someone needs to tell his story because, Marcus, you know, his mother was a drug queenpin. She I did not whole, know that. She ran oh a God. whole squad of men who sold drugs for her. So Gene Anthony Ray was rich before he ever did a, a single oh thing God. on fame. On fame. Wow. Wow. But I mean, the stories, baby. The stories, baby. And also where you grew up, which I kind of wanted to get to, too, like... You grew up basically half a block away from the most iconic basketball court yeah. in the world. Yeah. Rutgers. Yeah. So it was better than NBA's, but for me, it's not just the playing at Rutgers, right? Mm -hmm. It's I could just imagine you putting your flyers yes, gear, you and your sister right. putting your flyers gear. Explain for people who don't know Rutgers Park. Okay. The vibe, the DJ, the basketball. What happened street at Rutgers ball. Park? It was streetball. Yes. But it was so incredible because it was streetball. But the people that played in those tournaments, because it was a tournament, they were so good that professional basketball players who were in the NBA felt like it was a challenge to come up there and try and bowl at the Rucker. 
So we always had big celebrities. Even Kobe came up to rock. Kobe came and played. Yeah, sure. Stephon Marbury, Kobe. Yes. So many people play. But it wasn't just a game because it's truly the, when you talk about culture, it was our culture, yes. right? Puffy yes. used to have a team. In fact, Joe had a team. Yes. And it was like the culture of like summer in Harlem. Yes. Like the DJ, the music, everything. Let me tell you something. I, I live five blocks away. And so what would happen is I would get off work from from my my gig and I would go run home because I had to change my clothes because I would have on my little corporate look. Yeah, yeah. Run yeah. home, put on like some kind of freakum dress, some kind of bodycon, some kind of Versace, something bright and and bold, and you know, literally put on high heels, Marcus, and go to a basketball game, not in a stadium, but in an outdoor park. Across the street from the projects. Okay. <laughs> because it, that's what it called for. Or sometimes, Marcus, we would go up in our little tennis outfits and literally have on the tennis, because you know tennis skirt is very short. So that's yeah, what it yeah, Marcus. Yeah. You yeah. know, I told you I was trying to meet the boys. Putting your little tennis skirt, Marcus, and pulling your little sneaker, not going to play tennis the first. But you're gonna have on a full-on tennis regalia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Venus before Venus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. And then, of course, like you said, it was the culture. It was the music. It was the DJs. It was the dancers. You know, rest in peace, Al B, who, you know, you know, um, you know, rest, uh, you know, so many iconic people came to Rucker and made it what it was. And, you know, it, and it, it's something that can't be easily duplicated. And honestly, Marcus, once it went corporate, it changed everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the same. It's, not not, the it's same. absolutely not the it's same. It's not the same. Uh, Bevy, you you launched a book. You wrote your book. You told your story, Revelations. And, and like, you obviously, uh, we can hear you on the radio. We see you on TV. You are such a force and driver of the culture. But I also admire so much if there's a young man or woman just trying to navigate through the corporate life, right? And now we're going through another twist because of COVID, right? How to navigate, how to always be relevant, how to be in the center of culture. Your book, You Are It. And it's it's an amazing piece of sort of map, your passport, how you've been able to do it. And when you when you wrote the book, like, how did you decide what story to keep in, what to take out? Because you've gone through so much, baby. Yeah. Like, how do you, uh, tell me about the book. Um, well, you know, the book really came about because I wanted to talk about how I changed my life. You know, you talked about me being at Vibe and then um, we didn't get a chance to talk. But after Vibe, I went to Rolling Stone magazine where I became the only one yet again. And when I left Rolling Stone, it was with the idea that I wanted to go into entertainment. I wanted to be an on-camera talent. I want to act. I want to sing. I want to juggle. I want to be a fire eater. I want to do whatever. I want to explore whatever it was that I want to explore creatively. And so I quit my big, very lucrative job, making hundreds of thousands of dollars in 2005, which wow. back then was a lot of money, but you can- It's still a lot of money. Exactly. That's a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I quit that with that idea. And so the book is really, it's called Bevelations Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie, because I'm trying to give people the tools in which to change their lives and also trying to inspire them to not be afraid, to dare to dream, to dare to dream, 
um, to not rest on your laurels. So never, ever settle. And also to understand that, you know, it gets greater later. You know, that's my number one mantra because I quit my job at 38. And Marcus, I get my first TV show at the age of 45, um, which was Fashion Queens on Bravo. I get my second one at the age of 50, page six TV. At 54, I become an author. Um, At 55, I become an actress and an art consultant on a film. So it gets greater later. And so that's what the book is. It's supposed to be, it's my memoir, but it's also a self-help book because I want people to understand that, you know, you can do this too. And I showed up as as my most authentic self and I was able to do all of these things. I was able to, as you say, navigate these worlds, but not lose myself in any of them. Because I wasn't, I wasn't the most um, hood girl and I wasn't the most bougie girl and I wasn't a girl who felt the need to code switch when I went downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You (laughs) You bring Bevy Harlem everywhere, everywhere. And so that's the, that's the idea and that's the message behind it. That you can show up and you can bring yourself because nobody can be you, but you and who you are, as you are, you are, you have value. And I think a lot of times because of what the way we live our lives as black people and the effortless nature in which we create, a lot of times we don't even value what we do. Wow. Okay, Marcus. And, and what, what, what did that stem from? Do you think? I think that's because the world has told us that what we do is invaluable, but then they go ahead and steal everything that we do anyway. Okay, right? Because, you know, cornrows are not a good thing until they're on Kim Kardashian, right? Soul food is not is a peasant food until then it goes and, and then someone does a nouvelle cuisine of soul food. You see what I mean? So out fashion, Dapper Dan takes logomania and 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 creates this thing and that and that's called bootlegging and it's illegal and it's horrible and it's gauche and then the the fashion houses themselves take his idea and do it and then now all of a sudden it's high fashion so i think that that's the reason why a lot of times we don't value what it is that we have and what we bring to the table because it does come so easy to us yeah you are truly for me what it means to be a Harlemite, what it means to be a New Yorker, what it means to be American. And you are such an inspiration to all of us, right? Like, I'll tell you, I'll finish with this. In the early days of Red Rooster, you know, as a young entrepreneur, you are always nervous, no matter what you've done, right? And it was a day where the snowstorm came, like early December. And it was a Sunday, actually. And... Our brunch was busy and Bevy was there. And then it was so cold and snowy, so nobody left. So you would, you stayed for dinner. Yes. And it was like people didn't leave. It was about the same amount of people the whole time. And when I walked home that night, I knew I had the enough courage to say, I think this is going to work. Because there was the magic in the room. Right? Like, I'm like, Bevy's over there in the booth. Okay. So and so, Thalma's over there. This person is over there. So, the energy of the room, right? So, for a, a starting entrepreneur, you just need 
She always a little bit nervous about it. But when I saw you staying for brunch and dinner, yes, that gave me the confidence in to say. And cocktails in between, sure. And, and, but and, that and gave me the confidence. Remember how many people came through on different shifts? Remember I kept yes. calling people? So it would be, yes. my booth was rotating. Yes, no, of course. Had of different course, guest stars come in. It was like. Yes. The other, the other amazing thing with Bevy is also in the, again, in the early days, now it's Ginny's and because of President Obama, we had to renovate the whole thing and hold, host. I didn't you know, it, now it looks like that. I didn't yeah, we had to renovate it. No, but we couldn't afford, we ran out of money, right? So we, 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 we had the ba- the basement with like no AC. Yep. And it was Jenny's way before it looked like it was right now. Right. And I remember Bevy hosted a party there early on. Yes. Questlove hosted a party, you hosted a party. And I was like, wait a minute, they're having a blast. It's not about how much money we put in, if we have air conditioning on. Let's just host them with our hospitality. Yes. And we were so broke, and I was like, okay. So it took us 18 months between, you know, of, of a lot of raggedy parties down there. But people had just as much a good time then as they had after we renovated. So uh, that's just a ex- couple of examples of you've been there for us. We love you so much with all of our hearts. And Bevy, you are Harlem, and you have, you're so important for us, but for a lot of young entrepreneurs are trying to get into the game or someone is maybe being a career change, pick up Bevy's book, Bevelations. There it is, right? And it's now out on paperback. Exactly. (laughs) It's now out on paperback. And hopefully one day will also be in Swedish, which is a lot of this audience. Because it's truly, truly stories of an amazing, remarkable life. But we can all draw and learn from it. Thank you very much. Queen. The original fly girl from Harlem, Bevy Smith. Make sure next time you're in Harlem, say what's up to her because she's probably coming from something fancy and whatever she's doing, I know you want to be part of it. Thanks, Bevy, for coming on the show. Thank you to our listeners. Let us know what you thought about this episode. Hit us up on Instagram at thismomentpodcast and thismomentpodcast at gmail.com. Also, guys, stay tuned. We have a special episode coming up all around Harlem. It's going to be big, and you don't want to miss it. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 